it's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk. We are with you on this Saturday morning, the last Saturday show in the month of July until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Mr. Tate. Good morning. Next Saturday will be August 1st. Yeah, just two days later, we got to, we're going to find out for sure about uh, a couple of basketball players on the Illinois team, along with Tillman and Henry at Michigan State, and you got Carr at Minnesota, several players that are... Uh, of course, Garza at Iowa, what's he going to do? He's going to come back, isn't he? You would think so, but uh, I think a lot of folks think uh, that Kofi will come back, and we're not sure about that, and uh, we yep. think Iowa will not, but we're not 100% sure about that. So uh, a week from Monday is August 3rd, as Lauren mentioned on uh, that front. Major League Baseball underway. The Cardinals and the Cubs opened uh, with wins last night. The White Sox lost at home to Minnesota. Kyle Hendricks is the um, early leader for the Cy Young Award after that performance last night for oh, the Cubs. He's really good. He, he, uh, complete he just, game, he opening night. tantalizes hitters, Steve. He just tantalizes them. Looked like his curveball was better to me than yeah. in previous years. He went uh, nine innings, had nine strikeouts, gave up three hits. Cubs got home runs from Happ and Rizzo in a uh, 3 nothing win over Milwaukee. Those two teams play again this afternoon at noon. 3-5-0 and oh for the Cubs, 0-3-1 and one for the Brewers. Down in St. Louis, the Cardinals played uh, with the long ball a little bit with O'Neill, Fowler, and DeYoung hitting home runs and a 5-4 win over Pittsburgh, 5-9-1 and one for St. Louis, 4-8-1 and one for the Pirates. They play again at Bush Stadium this afternoon at 115. Adam Wainwright on the mound there. A little, little uh, nervousness for Cardinal fans in the uh, ninth inning of that ball game last night. Well, Kim didn't have a thing. I mean, he looked electric the other day in striking out three batters in an exhibition. I think, that, who was that against? Was that against the White Sox? Or was was that against Kansas City. Kansas City. Okay, mm-hmm. that's right. And uh, I just thought that uh, he looked sensational in that. I just happened to pick that up and... He's just, he was blowing them away, and then in this game, he had nothing. I mean, he was lucky to get a ground ball, hard ground ball double play to end the game. I mean, he just didn't, you know, he just, uh, something was entirely different from one appearance to the next. Well, that's the life of a, a closer, I guess. I guess it is, but, but this was uh, extreme, to go from such extreme to, to be so sharp and then to be so dull. So you watched, uh, knowing you as I do, you watched plenty of baseball in the uh, first couple of days of the uh, new season. What did you think overall? Well, I think it's coming. I mean, everybody, I don't see any hang-ups. I mean, uh, I don't know what to think about the cutouts in, in, the, in the seats, but I, I just, I, I think you can play baseball without fans. I mean, I, I think most, uh, most of us watch the games on TV anyway, so it isn't much different for us uh, at home. And... Um, I, I just uh, I, I think it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna work I think uh, now the thing that bothers me is is, is uh, the thing we all have to look at right now is Michigan State 
when you have two weeks of quarantine because of a, and, and I say a slight breakout. I, I only know of one or two players that got it, but they were around the other players, and 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 maybe I don't, and maybe we don't know yet whether any other players got it. But boy, if if you have that, if you're going to react that strongly in the in the season, that means you're going to have to be postponing or canceling games. Two weeks is a long time. Well, yeah, you're talking about uh, if that happens, you could be down two games right off the bat. I yeah. mean, because yeah. you might not be uh, able to come back that quickly. That's and, why they wanted the flexibility, Steve, but the flexibility doesn't necessarily mean that you can make up those games. I mean, it's it's not going to be that easy. Yeah, so Michigan State's on a quarantine, and uh, we'll see how that goes. And we're going to talk to Howard Griffith. He's our first guest coming up at 915. We'll talk some Big Ten uh, football with him. We're still waiting on the conference-only schedule for the Big Ten. Don't know exactly when we'll see that. I was told Ken Brown told me this week it still could be a couple of weeks, but it also could be next week. But we would expect it certainly by the first of July, but or first of August rather. But we're getting awful close to that. Yeah, I, I would think that <laughs> I would have thought it came out last week. You just you, you got to have a schedule before you, if you're going to try to put people in the stands, which means whatever it might mean to a particular school. I know over in Iowa, is going to be different than it is in Illinois. I see where they're going to try to get half the, you know, half the stadiums over there, 50%. Uh, and here it's, uh, tw- what, 20%? 20%, about 12,000. So it's 20% of capacity of any given stadium. Where, where did you hear about Texas? 50%. 50%. So that's about 50,000. You can't put 50,000 people in the stadium and expect to be uh, safe, can you? I, I, well, I was here in Michigan was talking about 50% too. That'd be, that'd be over 50,000 at uh, the big house. But uh, there's a lot to happen before that. we get to that point. Oh, yes, there's a lot to happen. And, you know, the, the schedule, at last we knew for sure that, and I say for sure in parentheses kind of, but is that the nine Big Ten games that were on anybody's schedule were still on there, maybe not in that order, but uh, that could be changed too. We don't know what's going on behind the, the closed doors there, and maybe they try to regionalize it more and get conference games early in the schedule perhaps. I don't know. Uh, uh, I think everybody's anxious to find out. And everybody's girding financially for what's going to happen. It's going to be big losses anyway. Even if they play, it's going to be tens of millions lost. Did you see that Wisconsin thing? Mm-hmm. Man, but uh, they've got a reserve fund. Wisconsin does. Not yeah. everybody does. I don't know. No, I don't think many people do, but they've got a reserve fund. I, I know that team, some of those teams like Ohio State and Purdue, I know, have, ha- have been able to contribute to the university set millions of dollars each year uh, you know, over and beyond what, they, what they're using for their budget. But the vast majority are not contributing to the, to the university. And, ha- you know, they don't have a policy of doing that. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, things yet to be answered. And uh, I don't know how things look on the high school level. The, uh, the junior high. Well, that's too bad. The elementary school association uh, decided to cancel their fall sports. And yeah. the IHSA uh, is, is waiting for another meeting. They're going to do that next week. And we'll see how, 
what they decide, but it's not looking good for prep sports, is it? And over in Rantoul, the guys uh, 55 and over playing softball like it's the same, <laughs> same as ever. And people are playing golf. They're flooding the golf course at Savoy, flooding it. People all over the place playing golf. But the, but the high school kids, the grade school kids, junior high kids can't play when they really want it and probably need it. But I, who am I to dispute it? Well, there could be a scenario where the only thing that's played on the college level in, in the fall is football. I mean, they could decide to cancel everything else in the fall. And well, they should definitely cross, uh, stop cross country. <laughs> I mean, people running They're out. They're trying in, to get away run, from each people other. People running out in the field <laughs> shouldn't be allowed. I mean, that is really brilliant. Yeah. This is, football and cross country are very similar sports. <laughs> and the same with, with golf and tennis, really, the, when they play their fall schedules. Uh, but cross country is kind of funny. Matter of fact, I was talking to Mike Turk, the um, golf coach, or I'm sorry, the track coach yeah, and cross yeah. country uh, leader for the uh, Fighting Line. I down on the driving range of the golf course yesterday yeah. morning, and uh, he has some interesting thoughts about how things are going. What did he say? Well, what you might guess, he would say, is he knows that uh, there are some sports that uh, better be looking around behind them because things are going to be getting tough, as evidenced by the what was it, fourteen tennis programs that had been canceled. Uh, yeah. And, a lot uh, of tennis being canceled for some reason. And those guys know, Mike Turk being one, Mike Small certainly being the other, Dan Hartlib, any of the other uh, Olympic sports, so to speak, coaches know what drives the bus. Mm-hmm. And they know if that if the bus is not driven by football and basketball, then things might happen. And uh, who knows what those things might be. But look at men's gymnastics. That's been on a Thin thread for a long time. 16 varsity teams in the country. In the Men. country, yes. Men's teams, 16. I mean, they can't afford to have anybody drop out. But, you know, and, and did you, you know, this idea of, of having gymnastics competition with the two teams in different places. Virtually, yeah. And just, they each could operate on their own uh, home facility, at their home facilities and have a, have a judge somewhere in between judging who who won that particular event. Yeah, if you and I had a golf match virtually, <laughs> you'd could, say you made every putt, wouldn't you? <laughs> did you pick that up or did you make it? <laughs> but the, there's some interesting things going out there. Three five six nine three nine seven is the phone number if you want to check in with us on uh, your thoughts on anything. Major League Baseball being one, uh, you know, uh, two nights in the books now for uh, the uh, 2020 season. Well, you know, the one thing I want to bring up here, I'm really high on the White Sox, but I'm scared about their pitching. If you don't have pitching, it doesn't matter how good your hitting is. And right last night, the Minnesota just went out and bombed them. 10-5 to 5 was that final. They'll play again this afternoon at 1-10. So every game is important, certainly in any season, but especially so now. And they're going to go to 16 teams in the playoffs this year. I'm not crazy about that, but... well. More the merrier. You could have you could you could be the Yankees and have the best record in baseball and have a three game series off the bat and just be out of it. Sure, three game series. Come on, that's suicide. Three game series to to eliminate teams in the playoffs. I think if you're the Yankees or you're one of the division winners, I think you would get that three game series at home. Well, uh, yeah, but still, you're right. You're right. With no fans, (laughs) exactly. What does that do? That's a good point. Maybe by then they'll be fans. I think that there are advantages to p- playing at home in the sense that for pitchers, 
it's you get accustomed to your own home mound. It is it's a little different when you're pitching on somebody else's field on somebody else's mound. I mean, there's a little bit of difference. There's a, I mean, I don't know that all of Wainwright's problems last year were because of that, but he was way better at home than he was on the road. Now, do you think the fans had a big part of that? I don't think so. I think it has to do with familiarity to, to your own surroundings. Here's our guest lineup uh, for the show today in between our segments of open line availability. Howard Griffith from BTN will join us here in just a couple of minutes. At the bottom of the hour, the first hour, Bob McLean, offensive line coach for Lovey Smith's Fighting Illini football team, will check in with us. We'll talk about Illinois football with him. Leading off the second hour, Will Leach, national columnist who writes for a lot of organizations, including MLB.com. We'll talk to him about the start of Major League Baseball, college football, and other topics as well. Then at 10.30, Tom Michael, former Illini basketball standout and now EIU athletic director, will join us to talk about how things are going down in Mattoon, Charleston at EIU. So we'll take our first time out on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'd love to hear from you. We're back with more after this. Moving up on 916, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock. Phone line open, 356-9397. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Happy to welcome back to the program our friend number 29, former Illini running back Howard Griffith, now with uh, BTN. Howard, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How about you two? We're doing pretty good. We're trying to figure out uh, the Big Ten football schedule and what that might look like. Uh, what are you hearing up there? How soon do you think you might see that? Well, hopefully uh, in the coming weeks we'll know something more, but You know, I think there are a lot of ideas that are out there, and I know they have a lot of plans. But in reality, you know, it's it's really going to come down to, you know, how we social distance, what's going on with the pandemic. It really is going to control what ultimately happens with college football and athletics, for that matter. Do you have any ideas yourself of how it might work? You know, I I think, you know, you you, I don't know if you're going to be able to get to 12 games. I think you're somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to 10. I think if you could uh, maybe rearrange um, the conferences so travel is made a little bit easier, uh, I think those are all things that, are, that have to be on the table when you start to think about, you know, getting ready and being able to keep our student-athletes safe. Well, Griff, this is Lauren. Uh, when you look at that, do you think they'll keep a lot of the games where they are, or do you think they'll just scrap it and start over? I would not be surprised that, you know, I think, first of all, they're going to try to play the games where they are. I think that's going to be key. But I also believe that there's so many plans in the works that I think they have to be looking at also. And that's why I mentioned kind of scrapping what we know as the divisions and some of the crossover games to limit the travel of of teams. Because I think that that becomes an issue. Uh, I think when you look at finances, you know, we we look to the, the MAC and we look at some other conferences, but I think you, you guys know that the Barry Alvarez, who is very conservative when it comes to spending money on his program, but they do very well, came out this week and said if there's no football, they're looking at a $100 million loss, and if, even if there's just partial is somewhere around 60 to 70. So, you know, this is going to be some significant problems that are going on, not only throughout college football, but let's say specifically in the Big Ten with, with programs that still have to to make adjustments to what's going to happen as far as athletics is concerned. And I think travel is going to be a big part of that. 
Well, if travel's a big part of it, you know, Illinois is supposed to open October. Their Big Ten schedule, they were originally scheduled to play at Rutgers. Uh, in yeah. the first, and then I just wonder if that will remain the same. And I also wonder where Rutgers is because they're having all kinds of problems there within the state and within the school by with people actually uh, suing the school for the amount of money that they've been pouring into sports. Yeah, I mean, did you hear yeah, about the, the union is actually uh, going to court? Yeah, I think there's some significant problems there. And, and that's why I go back to, you know, depending upon, you know, we talk about the football games, we talk about, you know, conferences as well and, and what they're going to do in conference only. Uh, but there's also some governors and mayors uh, of these states that are going to have a lot to do and a lot to say about what happens ultimately. So I think you look at you look at what's going on with, with COVID, then you have to look at the governors and, and the mayors, and, and then it comes down to, I think those, those conferences uh, trying to decide, but, you know, you have to come up with the best laid plans and have to come up with as many options as possible. And I think that's what all the conferences are ultimately going to do, but it's going to be tough. Well, the thing that uh, throws a scare into everybody is what's happening at Michigan State right now. When I believe, I, I heard that they only had a very, very few positive tests, maybe only one, I don't know, and now they, they've quarantined the entire team for two weeks, no practice for two weeks. What's your reaction? Explain why they've gone to that extreme. Well, I think if you remember, maybe a month ago, um, they had a huge outbreak that was uh, really traced back to one of the campus or off-campus bars where they had 90 to 100 people that tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, and I'm not saying that the athletes were there and they were a part of that, but obviously that, that says it's a bit of a spread there. And then this past, like this past week of the last testing, there was a coach that was involved. And, and I think this is one of the reasons, you know, it, it's going to be so difficult because once you take a team out for 14 days, right, what does that do? What happens if that happens uh, during the season? And I think that's why you'll see some different strategies when it comes to, to coaching. I, I, I believe that, that you'll see – you know, the number ones and number threes practice together and the twos and fours practice together, but you won't see, in my opinion, ones going against ones because if you if you start to do the contact tracing, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be out because they were, they were in the vicinity or they had contact with someone who possibly tested positive. So I think there are going to be a lot of things that, that are going to be at hand that, that, that coaches and, and athletic departments are going to have to try to sift through to make sure that they keep student-athletes uh, safe and, and really keep the general population safe. But I, that's just one, the way you practice. And, and really, I've been saying, I'm talking with Coach Donato this past week, we talk about the 20-hour rule, but these coaches are going to have to do some overtime. I mean, there's going to be a coach who you've got the offensive coordinator, but who steps in if the offensive coordinator is not going to be is taken out for some time. So I think the coaching staffs are going to have to do some creative things to make sure everyone's on the game plan or knows the game plan and has a feel for what's going on if we're able to get to that point. Visiting with Howard Griffith, and we're getting down to the to the nitty-gritty. We mentioned next Saturday is August 1st, and usually that weekend is when players start to, uh, even though they're back, but they officially report and they get set for practice to start, and they're inside a month of normally starting the season. So theoretically, practice could get started. You, you're preparing for an opponent. You don't even know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's so, so true. And, but, you know, I think this is where, you know, you have to have accountability um, with your players, your leaders on your team, 
have to be accountable, have to hold one another accountable. And I think, you know, that that's what it's going to come down to because it's hard to necessarily prepare for a faceless opponent. You're always preparing. You can spend the entire offseason if you have one of those huge games coming up uh, in the non-conference games when we would play a Colorado or a USC. We spent the entire summer as athletes and coaches just thinking about that opportunity that we were going to have. And now, yes, there's, there's some teams that you could play out there, but you're still not sure. There's still some doubt in the back of your mind. Players are getting information. Coaches are getting information. And the reality is none of us truly know what's going to happen. And it may not be until game week that we know. As, as strange as that sounds, that's the type of situation we're in because of the spikes that we're seeing in different parts of the country. That would be almost like an NCAA basketball tournament, right? You, you don't know who you're playing next till you get through the one game, but uh, and it could be that way every week, I suppose. It's kind of hard to, to picture that, but uh, anything's up for it grabs. Really it, it really is, and I think that goes back to you, know, you guys' question uh, a few minutes ago when you were asking about how soon do you think the schedule will be out. And I think it's something that they've got to try to get out to try to have some semblance so, so people can start to get prepared. But in doing so, we also know that ultimately, you know, that schedule is, has to be flexible. And I think that's a, another reason, you know, you, you went away from the non-conference games to try to give yourself some more flexibility in some games. I, wouldn't, I would not be surprised if you saw traditional rivalries moved up in the calendar, if possible, to, to make sure that some of those games are played. I think that's something that's probably also on the table. You've got an interest in Notre Dame with your son Houston playing there. And, uh, of course, they're an independent. And a lot of these conferences playing conference games only. What, what do you think is going to happen there? Might they play an ACC schedule? Yeah, well, it looks like that that's what they're going to do. They're going to play an ACC schedule and uh, pick up. I, mean, I think they already had six games that were on the schedule. So they'll probably pick up another game and they've been talking about uh, a motto of uh, a plus one which was a non-conference game as well but i don't know how how feasible that's ultimately going to be so i I think they're pretty locked into playing uh, an all acc schedule and the interesting thing there is the presidents have to vote to see if they were able to win the acc would they ultimately be the acc representative in the orange bowl so there's some other little tricks uh and little incentives that are there if Notre Dame is playing a all ACC schedule as far as bowl tie-ins are concerned. So you don't think they're going to play any of the military academies this year? I think it's going to be tough. You know, they were going to open up against Navy. I think if they can play the Navy game, they will. I doubt if that's going to be the first game that they play. They may move it back in the schedule. But if they could play the military, uh, if they could play Navy, I absolutely believe they will. And, and because my, one of my contentions has been – you know, the reason, one of the other reasons to go to conference only is so you could have across the board testing guidelines to each conference. I think that was important. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, that, that you went uh, non-conference games along with being able to have scheduled flexibility because the reality is, you know, some of these MAC opponents that, that you may play may not have the same testing resources that you might have as a power five. And the reality is some power fives aren't going to have the same resources as other power fives as well. So, but if at least you have uniform testing, you understand what's going to happen. I think it's going to be important that they figure out how to get tests back faster than 72 hours. I think it's got to be under 24 hours really to be able to play, to be able to play games. Because if you take a test on Wednesday, you don't get the results 
for 72 hours, that's not going to be, you know, ideal. But I understand that, you know, that's kind of the situation we're in. And there are plenty of Americans who are taking tests and not getting tests back, test results back, you know, for 10 to 14 days. So that's devastating as well. Do you think that, that they will actually um, start the season on that first Saturday in September? Or do you see them pushing it back a little bit? I see it getting pushed back. Uh, I, I think really? Seeing, yeah, I think you're starting to see, you know, several commissioners and, and several coaches thinking about that or athletic directors talking about pushing the season back just a little bit. I think one of the concerns when you talk about that is getting the, the general population back on campus. If you have a school that's going to have uh, your, your regular student body back on campus, you kind of want to see what happens when, it, when they're exposed to that because now – you know, for many of these teams, they were in a bubble, uh, particularly like Notre Dame. They were staying in a hotel. Now they've been taken out of the bubble, and the general uh, students are going to be coming back. So students and, and students are students. I mean, I remember when I was 18, 19, you're telling me to quarantine. I don't know if I really would have paid attention. But, you know, that's where our young people are today. So I think they want to be able to get an idea of what's going on and if they're able to manage it while the student body is on the campus, and at least be able to get some testing done while you have the students on campus. Well, the problem with that is, Griff, if you do that, if you push the season back, you reduce the amount of flexibility that you're going to have later. In other words, if you've got 13 to 14 weeks, well, if you count the 14th week, the first week of December, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and you start pushing back, you don't have any room to maneuver. Yeah, I think, and that's why, you know, the schedule has got to be flexible. You, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and like I said, you can have as many plans as you'd like to have uh, for this upcoming season and try to dial in and know what you want to do and have all the protocols in place. But the reality is you're, you are against timing. You're against COVID. And we none of us control what, what's going on with COVID. So, you know, we have to be able to put our, our, again, I go back to the young people and making sure that we put them in the best position to be successful and to be healthy. And that could be pushing the season back. And that could be also moving the season to the spring. And I know that opens up another whole can of wor- uh, worms economically for these athletic departments. But, you know, that has to be on the table and something that's being discussed. How would you feel about that as a player, Howard? Uh, say it goes to the spring then uh, theoretically you're playing two football seasons or maybe they're two partial football seasons, whatever, but in the same calendar year. How tough would that be on the players? Yeah, it would be very tough. So from my perspective, when when I've talked about moving things to the spring, I've also said that you need to adjust the football schedule a minimum of the next two years, if not three, because of the toll you're putting on the athlete's body. Maybe it's spring ball without pads. Maybe spring ball gets moved up. Maybe they're able to play so well that they find out, well, we don't need to be doing all this hitting, much hitting. But I think you have to make adjustments, and that's going to be a two-year process, not only just to get the kids acclimated, but also how about what do you do for early enrollees? What do you do for the scholarship count? What do you do for eligibility? Right. You know, one of the questions I have, even if we were to get a season off during – during the fall, and hopefully we can, what happens if we only get four seat, four games in? What does that do for eligibility for the student-athletes that have given up a year of eligibility to play four games? So there are so many, so many issues that are out there, guys. We, we could spend the entire day or the entire weekend talking about them because one of the other things that, that, that concerns me is, is 
it's really the, the mental health of our student athletes as well that are going through this process that end up having a quarantine for 14 days alone by themselves. And sure, they still can interact. Uh, they've got their phone. They have those things. But if they have been tied in to trying to get ready for football and then all of a sudden they test positive, are they going to be looked at by the adults in the room? And I'm not saying necessarily their coaches. But are they going to be looked at like, oh, well, you couldn't do things right. So you contracted COVID, so you had to be doing something wrong. And that's not necessarily true. They could have been doing all the right things, touched the surface. They shouldn't have touched, uh, contracted COVID. But they're going to be viewed, particularly, I think, when you start to talk about the Internet and Twitter and some of these other things, is a kid that, or, or a student athlete that has done something that wasn't right because they tested positive. And I, I don't think that's going to be fair for the student-athlete either. Howard Griffith, great stuff. We appreciate it. Always look forward to talking to you. And uh, certainly in these interesting times, hopefully we'll have some games to talk about at some point. Absolutely, guys. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. And watch out for the heat. It's supposed <laughs> to be a steamer today. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Stay safe yourself. Thanks. Thanks, Howard. All right, guys. Take care. You bet. Howard Griffith with us. Here on Illini Pellis, Saturday Sports Talk, 931. We'll talk some more football with Illinois offensive line coach Bob McLean coming up. Stay with us. 934, Illini Pellis, Saturday Sports Talk with Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate with you until 11. Phone line is open, 356-9397 is the number there. Thanks to Howard Griffith, former Illini running back and now a key member of the Big Ten Network based out of Chicago. He's been there since uh, day one. Matter of fact, a quick story about Howard. He was just about set to become uh, our color commentator, right. uh, person, commentator on uh, the Illinois Radio Network. And then uh, the Big Ten Network decided to uh, get going, and they grabbed him away. It's been a good move for uh, Howard Griffith, for sure. Welcome to the program now. We're going to talk some Illinois football with Bob McLean, offensive line coach uh, for Lovey Smith. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? We're hanging in there, as everybody seems to be this time of year. Let's get an update on what uh, is going on with your uh, group there, your offensive line room. It's been kind of a pretty good uh, week or so as far as preseason uh, recognition goes for your guys. You've got a veteran group. Talk a little bit about them and uh, and how the training has been going so far. Well, it's been going really well. You know, yeah, those guys are veterans. they they're getting some accolades that are, have been well-earned. I mean, they've put a lot of hard work in throughout the years. You know, those older guys, they've, they've played a lot of football. They've played a lot of games. They've been start been starters for a long time. And, and you know, most importantly, they're good people. They're high-character guys. That They're good leaders. They come to work every day with a purpose, and they have a passion to be the best in the nation. And uh, it's paying off for them. You know, uh, as far as preparation, it's been a little bit different. But it's been really good, you know. In, in the in the spring, you know, not having spring practice, we did Zoom meetings online. And yes, you always want to practice, but honestly, you got, we got to do some things we wouldn't normally get to do because we had all that extra meeting time. You know, I got to get in teaching those guys things that you normally wouldn't have the time to do. You know, we taught them. I taught them coverages, how to read the you know, defenses as far as the coverage, the different blitzes, you know, tendencies of. Uh, knowing when they're going to blitz, and we've always, always taught them fronts and those kind of things, but they even got to get in more depth with that. So, you know, the preparation's been different, but it's been good at the same time. A lot of those guys, uh, by necessity, had to play early 
at the University of Illinois. That's kind of a good news, bad news thing. You you get the experience, but sometimes you take your lumps. But uh, you're you're looking at it now. Is it paying off in the end, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it was tough for them back then when they had to do it, but it's it's paid huge dividends for them now. You know, that's why they are what they are now. You know, and and lots once again, what I said earlier is the kind of people they are. You know, I mean. They, a lot of people, when you go through adversity, how are you going to react? You know, so when they had to play young, it was tough. These guys are, are, are you know, hard-nosed, tough guys. And they got, like I said, they've got high character. They're high work ethic guys. So they dug in and, and battled their way through it, and they made the best of it. And now they're reaping the rewards from it. Bob, this is Lauren. Uh, you've got Low Green, Kramer, and Palshevsky that are all returnees multiple years. Uh, last year you brought in Pettibone. And he filled in for one year at, at guard. What does it look like now as you try to find the fifth starter for this group? I know you had a couple enrollees in the beginning, and then you also have Gerasati from uh, from Wolford. How is this going to How is this going to stack up for that fifth position? They're all going to compete. You know, uh, like you said, we brought in we brought in uh, Blake from from Wolford, but we have guys here also on the current roster that have all. You know, they're working hard, and uh, they won't compete for it on a daily basis. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want competition because competition makes guys makes our group better, and it makes our guys better. Now, when did Griffin and Sparks actually enroll at the University of Illinois? How long have they been here? Well, they got here, you know, last January because right. they, they graduated early. But, you know, so they were here for a little while, and then obviously when everything got shut down, that's, you know, they didn't come back. So, but but they're uh, they're they're back with the team now? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're back here now. Yeah, they just had that break like everybody else did when everything was shut down for the, for the virus. So they were, they were, they intended to be at spring practice, in other words, and then, of course, there was no spring practice, I guess. Of course, yes. Like I said, they were... They were midterm enrollees last year, so you know when everybody else came back for this for the spring semester in January, they they came then. So yes, they would have been here for spring practice if it would have happened. Now, when when you actually start practicing, uh, are, are, is it your plan to insert one or you know one guy per day maybe at that position just to see how it works? I mean, uh, I, I think that a lot of us are assuming that. That the young man from Wolford, who's a, I guess two hundred ninety or three hundred pounds, and and was an All American at the small school, uh, that he would have a shot. What? How do you work it uh, in practice in order to find out who fits best? Oh, I'll rotate. I'll rotate guys there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes, he's he's a very good player. We're very very high on him. You know, from from uh, like he's he's a tough guy. He's he's smart, good leader. He's athletic. I mean, he fits the mold for our offensive system. That's why we brought him in. Uh, high character guy. So, but we've got other guys that were that were that were high on too. So we will, you know, we'll rotate guys there. You know, current guys that were high on that are here uh, that have been here. So we will rotate those two guys through and get a look at all of them. Okay. I mean, Divertis Brown and Slaughter and Pearl. Do they figure in this, or, or do they, are they at other positions? Uh, no, Virtus and, and Jordan can both play slot. They can both play guard. So okay. yes, they they will they will compete for the position also. 
So you, you, it looks to me like you've got nearly half a dozen guys <laughs> competing for that one position. Is that fair? Is that, is that, am I exaggerating well, that? Yeah, we don't have quite that many, <laughs> but, but not quite that many, but we've got a few that will compete for it. So, and, and, you know, that's always my goal is I always want to make guys versatile that can play multiple positions. Uh, you know, that gives guys the best opportunity to get on the field and, and it helps us, you know, when we have guys that can play more than one position, it gives us more depth, you know. Yeah, but when you talk about guys that can play more than one position, I, I, it reminds me of Jake Cerny, who played several positions for you, and I guess he has decided not to come back. Can you tell us anything about Cerny and why he made that decision? Uh, I'd, I'd rather not comment on that. I mean, it was more of just a personal thing for him, you know, on for himself. So, But, you know, I'd rather not talk about that, really. You know? Okay. <laughs> just rather talk about our current guys, you know, I mean – uh, that was, like I said, basically just personal reasons. For sure. Uh, Bob McLean is the offensive line coach for Lovey Smith with a relationship going back a ways with Rod Smith. Talk about that a little bit, if you would. Well, you know, that's great. You know, like I said, it's it's nice going to work every day, knowing what to expect. I mean, Rod is a is a great coach, but he, he's a better person. Uh, he He checks the boxes in all areas, you know. He's He's like I said, and, and you know, system-wise, we came up in the same offensive system for a lot of years, so it, it, it makes it very a very good working relationship on a daily basis. From like I said, you know, going around a person who you know you know what you're getting every day. He's he's consistently a good person and consistently a great coach, and and it's great with the kids. You know, he's a player's coach. Like the kids love him. When is fall camp? scheduled to start i realize everything's up in the air these days but usually that first weekend of august yeah everybody starts to get there that's coming up next week how's it looking it's looking good looking good right now the kids are are preparing well with the things that we're allowed to do right now the kings the kids seem really focused they're doing a great job of following the guidelines that they need to do to stay safe and you can just tell they're they're really eager to play I mean, we're fortunate enough, fortunate to have a, a great uh, older class, you know, older guys that are really good leaders that are doing a good job with the young guys. But you can just see it in their eyes. They're hungry to play, and they're really focused on getting to that point. be nice to know who you were playing first, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that always helps. But it is what it is right now, and it's at different times for everybody. So you just roll with it and do what you can do and handle what's in your control. Well, Coach, uh, I, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering about the running game. I thought I was a little disappointed last year in the final analysis when we looked at the numbers, even though you had a, a couple of pretty good running backs in Dre Brown and, and uh, Reggie Corbin. Uh, what, what was the – how would you explain the fall off in, in, uh, in run game from the previous year to, to last year? Well, I think we were more balanced last year. I mean, you look at the you look at the final the statistics. You know, it's obviously it's about wins and losses and about you know efficiency and all those kind of things. And we we were more balanced. I mean, we had a quarterback last year that, that could throw the ball really well too. You know, yeah. so when you can do that, I mean, you you want a you want you you want to be predictable. You want to be able. So I think I think we ran it efficient we ran it effective when we wanted to 
And that's where that's ideally where Rod wants this offense to be. He wants us to be a balanced offense, not predictable. And that's why I felt like where we got to be last year. We ran it well when we needed to run it well. But like I said, once again, we had some really good, you know, quarter. We had a really good quarterback that could throw it really well. We had really good receivers. We had some some good tight ends. So you want to utilize those guys too. So run the ball well when you want to and when you need to, but bounce that offense out and also be able to throw it so that you're not predictable. And I thought we did a good job of that last year, and that's the reason we had the success we did as a unit, as an offense and as a team. Any any thoughts about the the, the, the period of time? Well, the previous year you had a running quarter. I mean, more of a running quarterback, certainly. Now, it doesn't mean that Peters can't run, but I would think – his value to the team would be such that you would want to keep him limited in in, in the amount of running he would do. It, would that be a thought in terms of your offensive planning? Well, that's exactly right. You know, you 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 play to people's strengths. I mean, uh, he he is more of a he he can run it when he needs to, but but you're correct. He is more of a thrower, and you do want to keep him healthy. So you're gonna play. You're gonna you're going to scheme to his strengths, and his strength is he's, he's he can throw the football, and so you want to utilize that, and then running when you have to. That's Bob McLean, offensive line coach for the University of Illinois football team. We appreciate your time this morning, and I'm sure you're anxious to uh, to get back to work full time there with the guys and get the knowledge of who the opponent's going to be and see the schedule and such. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. Bob McLean with us. He is entering his second season as offensive line coach, third season on the Illinois football staff. Moving up on 947, we've got an open line segment for you coming up after this next timeout. If you'd like to join us, 356-9397 is the number. Nine forty nine, Live Eye Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Three five six nine three nine seven is the number. We've had conversations with Howard Griffith from BTN and Bob McLean, Illinois football offensive line coach. So far, coming up in the second hour, Will Leach at the top of the hour to talk about the start of baseball and college football as well. And then Tom Michael will join us at uh, ten thirty to talk about things down at EIU, where he is the athletic director. Illinois football now with uh, in the class of 2021 now with 15 commitments picked up a couple yesterday a young man named Tyler Strain from Florida defensive back and an offensive lineman from uh, Plainfield Illinois Zach Barlov who um, changed his mind he was going to Bowling Green what's that eight from Florida and two from Illinois eight from Florida two from the state of Illinois so far two offensive linemen from the state of Illinois. Barlove and Josh Krutz from uh, Wilmette, who verbally committed uh, a week or so ago. Speed from Florida, big blockers from Illinois. Huh? Yep, they've got uh, 10 three-star athletes, according to rivals, five defensive backs, three offensive linemen total, and two linebackers in the class. A couple of uh, players listed as athletes, which means they're probably a defensive back, maybe a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is... Th- Ranked, according to rivals, 56th in the country in recruiting class 
Yeah, it, Illinois is not, is not setting the world on fire in their last three recruiting classes. It's just going to, that's the, of course, they did have eight transfers that, that are coming in uh, this year. So, including the, the young man from Wilford, I, I think his last name is pronounced Gerasati, J-E-R-E-S-A-T-Y, Gerasati. And I would think he would be in line for that fifth position in the offensive line, although we don't really know anything about some of the other guys that are competing for that position. We do have the phone lines open. Let's go to the phones. And Gary is with us. Good morning, Gary. Go ahead. Yeah, morning. Well, I picked up the paper this morning and found out that the 17 games I was scheduled to officiate in softball for IESA, they all got canceled. I don't see how the IHSA is not going to cancel fall sports either. Well, it's certainly headed that way, isn't it? And, yeah. and I keep saying it's kind of funny that – not funny, but it's, it's ironic that the, the 55 and over softball teams are playing over in Rantoul like, this, like, it's, like it's 2018. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and yet the kids can't play, and they're the least likely to, to uh, come down with this thing. And, of course, the, the 55 and over are more likely – the most likely. That's, that's true. I, I just think the schools are trying to avoid – uh, ending up with some sort of a litigation or something, mm-hmm. saying, okay, you guys have decided to play, and my kids want to play, so they did, and then somebody gets sick, and then they're hung up on that. So I, I don't know, but it's just unfortunate for all, the, for all the young athletes and the kids going to school, but can't change it. So you think that uh, that was a sign of what's ahead for the, the high schools, what the, the uh, elementary schools did? Well, it'd be pretty interesting if the IHSA said yes, and then the IESA said no. Right, right. So, if they if they do that, and it's opposite, uh, the IESA might rethink it, but I sort of doubt it. Right. So that's all I had. Okay, Gary. Thanks. Thank we you. appreciate the call. Three five six nine three nine seven is the number if you'd like to jump in here before uh, ten o'clock with uh, yours truly, Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate. Back to baseball last night, um, if you missed it, and I'm sure you didn't, if you were a big baseball fan, Cardinal Cub fan or a White Sox fan, Cubs won, Cardinals won, the White Sox lost, and watching TV uh, baseball with no fans is interesting. I'm not a huge fan of the piped-in crowd noise. Um, I'm not a huge fan of announcers being at home or in another state, like the Cardinal uh, pregame show had a, a guy in the studio recording at home in suburban St. Louis and Rick Ankiel at home in Florida. <laughs> they were doing the pregame show and then one of the network broadcasts on ESPN had guys in the studio and Chipper Jones in Atlanta working the game. So, But once the game starts, you kind of forget about that. I do. I, I, I just, I mean, I'm interested in the game for the game itself and, and uh, I, uh, I might have the sound turned down. So I might not, I might not even hear what they're saying. But uh, some of the times I have it turned down. Sometimes I have it up. So as a Cardinal fan, I know it's only one game, but I, I could. I didn't talk to you last night. Sometimes we text during the game. We didn't text towards the end. But I, I had a mental, <laughs> a mental image of of you walking around the living room, <laughs> cussing at the TV about the way the, the well, Cardinal bullpen was going. Actually, I was, I was over uh, Joe Burden, my son-in-law, and, and we were having 
we had a little meal there and and uh, I, you know I I just watch I I just am I don't know how the Cardinals do it I do, I mean they hit three home runs last night they're not a home run hitting team but they hit three home runs hitting or I I don't see them as a home run hitting team and yet they hit three last night and I I just I think the Cardinals have so many flaws it's hard to get overconfident about them when when they have so many positions where and by the way. Uh, Edmund got eaten, eaten up by a couple of ground, uh, really hard ground balls to third base. I mean, and the outfield is just, I don't, the, the outfield hit two home runs last night. Are they going to do that? Or Did you it? notice the batting order? They had, um, Mike Schild had the infielders first, the catcher and the D, or the DH and the catcher in between, and then the outfielders. <laughs> and the outfielders hit two home runs. Let's go to the biggest Cardinal fan I know in the state of North Carolina. Marty is with us. Hey, Marty. Well, I love being notarized. That's great. Thank you, Steve. Sure. Uh, how's Lauren today? <laughs> Fine. He's awake. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, there's no big surprise that the outfielders were batting at the back, Steve. They got the, the lowest uh, war in, in baseball just about in the outfield, I believe. Anyway, I I knew... Fowler would do something because I was bad-mouthing him pretty much all day to a couple friends of mine. So, well, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid he'll, I'm afraid he'll do so much that they'll they'll be encouraged to play him. That's what scares me. <laughs> that scares me too. And here's the other question: He bats. He had either the worst or one of the two worst averages against breaking balls in the major leagues last year. Basically, unable to hit a breaking ball, batting under a hundred. So, why with a one-two count would you throw him a sinker? I do not understand what they're saying. Th- I mean, they got to know as much as I do. That's just the stupidest thing I ever saw. Uh, anyway, uh, guys, I, I don't like all this talk, but I understand why. I don't understand why people are so afraid of a disease that isn't too much worse than the flu. It's a little worse, but not terribly because it doesn't affect young people as much. I don't understand all that. I'm glad baseball's back. I think they can do it. As you got to remember, Steve, I don't mind the piped-in fan noise as much because I'm blind. I can't see the stands being empty anyway. So, you know, it seems almost normal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm disappointed with the Chicago teams because I was in that $100,000 pick'em thing, and I got everything right except for the two Chicago teams. <laughs> so they, they, they messed me up big time. Um, I'm wondering with all the stuff going on, what are they going to do with basketball since they went conference only in football and since they seem so weak-kneed at the collegiate level being afraid of everything? Well, it's, you're not going to get an answer here. Steve and I don't know. We're just Haven't going heard any one day at a time, one week at a time, and find out when basketball gets here, we'll find out about that. I mean, we could have a disaster here in football, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're sitting on a bombshell here. I mean, Oh, yes, you are. You're sitting on a financial bombshell. That's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if if they don't play football, I don't know what happens. I know one thing. The building program at the U of I is going to take a hell of a hit if they don't play football. Well, if they don't play football, every school that in, in those Power Five, every one of them is going to lose between 60 to $100 million. Yeah. And that means devastation to the – uh, to the other sports, it means devastation to the people that work there and other jobs. They, they'll be down to, they'll be down to a skeleton crew. 
That's what it means. Not I mean, it, it means an awful lot to a lot of people. I mean, you're not the hotels, uh, the the every everybody, just everybody on campus, and and in, in fact, the whole city. So basically, you're banking on a bunch of eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty, twenty-one year olds to do the right thing and keep themselves out of situations where they could pick the virus up in order to support the entire community, basically. Well, that's, you could say that. I mean, that's what it boils down to. You're yep. going to find out how much they care about not just playing football, but about other people, because if they don't... Well, the problem is it only takes one. It only took one at Michigan State. Oh, yeah. And they got a 14-day quarantine, so... Well, Howard Griffith was right. They're going to have to play different strings against each other. They're going to have to do a lot of things different. On the good side of that, Lovey Smith, coming from the pro ranks, will be used to doing or doing things a little differently. So, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm more worried about Rod Smith because he's in a lot of the wrong groups. If he gets COVID, that's the one guy that worries me. I'm more worried about the coaches than the players. Okay, Marty, good stuff. Very uh, Thank you. Very accurate. We Thank appreciate you. your call. Thanks. And can we go 60 and 0, Steve? <laughs> 60 and 0. No. <laughs> I feel make, make it a great one, fellas. Yeah, you too. Appreciate the call, Marty, down in North Carolina. I feel safe with that uh, answer of no. But uh, you know that they they say that uh, I mean, to me a game's a game, but uh, now in a 60 game schedule, it's each game's worth 2.7. <laughs> Wins if you win and 2.7 losses if you lose. But if 16 teams make the playoffs, you don't have to do much better than 500 to to get no, in the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of teams in it. Yep. We've hit the top of the hour, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Hour number one in the books. We'll be back with hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Thanks to Howard Griffith from BTN and Illinois offensive line coach Bob McLean, our couple of guests in the first hour of the show as we begin hour number two, WDWS. Champaign-Urbana, and we're happy to welcome back to the program from the state of Georgia, U of I grad, Will Leach. Are you ready for some baseball? Did you watch some baseball the last couple of days, Will? Oh, just pump it right into my veins. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited to have the opportunity. Uh, uh, yeah, my uh, my my father uh, built, built himself a little... Uh, man cave garage outside in rural Georgia where he moved out here and we he actually mowed an arch into his lawn in case you were wondering <laughs> how excited he was to watch the Cardinals last night so uh, we had a good time watching that game uh, it, it certainly it was certainly unusual uh, circumstances but uh, I don't I, I think everyone uh, we certainly appreciate being able to have it back I think it was unusual at the beginning of uh, the, any broadcast you watched but once the game got started. It's you know baseball's baseball. It just kind of you, you forgot about the fact uh, no fans were there and the any noise that might be coming in was piped in. 
Yeah, you know, I have to say, uh, I, I know I've not actually been to a game in person. I'm actually going to be at the game in Cincinnati today, actually writing a story for New York Magazine on what it's like to be at a game with no fans. But on television, I have to say this, the, the crowd noise is fine. Like, it's certainly a little weird when you hear uh, pretend cheers for Yachty when he comes to the plate. Uh, <laughs> it's a little odd. Uh, but certainly as an ambient noise thing, I don't mind it. I think it's almost a little too eerie. And, you know, you've actually heard from some players. They think it's strange, too, but they actually kind of like it. I think Dan McLaughlin talked about this on the on the Cardinals broadcast last night about how, like, when there's no sound at all, you can hear that, like, the catcher's moving his spikes in the dirt and that, that lets the batter know uh, what kind of pitch might be coming. Like, the players are used to having – some sort of sound, and so uh, uh, I think you get used to it. To me, the the, the larger thing that, that that I found strange is, you know, you watch the game last night, and it does feel the way the broadcast kind of put it together. And I think they've got fewer cameramen and fewer angles at a lot of these places than they ordinarily do. But it's interesting that like you would think it was taking place in like a vacuumed. Uh, in a vacuum where soundstage somewhere and that like you know there were in fact people at ballpark village last night if you watch a cardinals game ordinarily there are tons of people that are showing everything that's going on at ballpark village and i found it kind of fascinating you saw the same thing with the cubs broadcast yesterday they're doing they're making a big effort not to show the surrounding areas outside of the stadium i think wisely to show that like not to do not to gather around these places but people are gathering around so I think it's a little bit more normal even there than it feels like on television, but I think they've made broadcast choices perhaps to, uh, to, uh, be, to do the most responsible thing. So you're telling me that there were people at, at Ballpark Village last night? Is that right? They were selling. <laughs> they, they, listen, they, if you go on to uh, uh, Ballpark Village website, you can buy seats under their porch overlooking the field in left field. You can oh, buy sure. them. They're pricey. <laughs> they're pretty, I don't really feel like I need to do that on a regular basis because I do think the broadcasts are pretty well. And you're right. Once you get kind of adjusted to it, it begins to feel like baseball, right? And, and it begins to feel, I'll, I'll put it this way, there's obviously some noise in there because we did not hear Jack Flaherty cursing as he clearly was on several uh, instances uh, in the seventh inning of that game last night. I think that uh, the players are certainly, uh, it's unusual. You saw Anthony Rizzo with the hand sanitizer. But I do think once you get through the initial awkwardness, I think it does start to feel like baseball a little bit. And I, I wonder, you know, there's still a long way to go on this. But I do think the, the idea that Corona Ball, as they called it, would be some dramatically different game. On the first day of opening day, it was different, but it still felt like baseball. Yeah, it really did. I mean, the, the game just, it's, it's, once you get into it, I think it just goes along as it would normally go. I, uh, I was, uh, I was, the thing that I guess I walked away from the Cardinal game with was, was the uh, uh, incredible um, failure of Kim to show anything like what he had shown the previous outing when he struck out three in a row and looked, looked as I call it, electric, and all of a sudden he, the electricity was gone last night. What happened? Yeah, you know, this was the risk. It was an unconventional switch for the Cardinals to make Kim closer. I mean, I know he's new to, uh, to Americans fans and Cardinals fans, but, you know, in the KBO and the Korean League, he was not just a starter. He was a star starter who was known for eating innings. 
And so uh, imagine if, say, you told Justin Verlander when he goes over to a new league that, okay, now you, all the things that you've done your entire life and all the, 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 the routines you have in between starts, we're going to switch that now. And now you're going to pitch one inning and then two days later you're going to get pitch another inning. And I think you saw the uh, potential perils of that approach. Because uh, you're right, I saw the same thing in the, uh, in the Royals game. He looked terrific like he looked like no one was going to hit him at all and he just didn't have it uh really you know he, he sharpened up a little bit uh after the first three batters got on i thought his, uh the fastball had a little bit more bite. you can see why he's a good pitcher but yeah this was the you know this is a kind of a choice they made partly out of uh i feel like they had made a promise to carlos martinez that if he put in the work he'd have a chance to be in the rotation and he put in the work and i think that's been an issue uh, that the Cardinals have had with Carlos Martinez in the past, so I felt like they, I think they felt like they needed to reward him for that. But also the fact that Gallegos isn't there and Alex Reyes isn't there, uh, you know, there and they may be coming soon. Uh, I think they're saving a roster spot for 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 Gallegos at this point. But they really didn't have anybody. I think they felt like they needed to have someone like him in that spot. Now he looked so good two days ago, but you know, you wonder. If maybe, you know, when they signed Kim, you, uh, it was either going to be a rotation or even like a swingman uh, type of role. And uh, I don't think anyone ever envisioned him as a closer. And I think now you kind of saw, uh, as good as he looked a couple days ago, why there were some potential uh, uh, question marks raised about making him the closer in the first place. Visiting with Will Leach, you mentioned uh, you're going to a game in Cincinnati to write a uh, uh, column on uh, Major League Baseball with no fans at the uh, Cincinnati Stadium. Why didn't you pick St. Louis? Uh, the, uh, because honestly, I was in Athens, Georgia, and this place was close. <laughs> I did not actually realize. I did not actually realize until I actually sat down and researched this that other than Atlanta, the closest baseball stadium to Athens, Atlanta's on the road right now. Right. So the closest baseball stadium to Athens, Georgia, is Cincinnati. I did not realize that it's actually closer than Tampa, which I did not realize. So uh, I, I got. I've had a very nice drive through the mountains. Uh, this morning. I've uh, been nice, relaxing. As someone that, frankly, like most of America, has been in my house uh, for four months, uh, America is actually quite beautiful. <laughs> it's a really lovely place to see. I kind of miss being in a car for a while. It hasn't been half bad. How'd you? Ha- what'd you have to go through to get credentials? Uh, you know, I, I've, I've been covering baseball for a long time, so, you know, they, they're certainly familiar with me as a, as a reporter. Uh, you know, I think that... Uh, uh, but I, there are certain protocols. I'll put it, for example, uh, the fact that I live in Georgia uh, would make it to where I could not go to, say, a Mets game right now or a Yankees game right now without quarantining uh, for two weeks. Ohio does not have those restrictions. Uh, so I, I'm able to come in. But, you know, they'll, they'll, I think they're taking – I've not gone through the process yet, but from what I understand, they take your temperature at the door. I believe the press box in Cincinnati is actually outside. Uh, which means it's probably the best seats any of those reporters have ever had. Now that I'm thinking about it, but uh, I'm definitely curious to see not just what it feels like, but like what the environment is at a stadium, at a uh, at a place. Never mind how it affects the players, which is certainly interesting, but how it affects you know the, the surrounding areas outside the stadium. What if, what a public space feels like. That's, that is not only used to having a lot of people around, but is specifically di- designed for that purpose. What it's like to have uh, um, just no, I, nobody, nobody in a stadium that holds 55,000 people, uh, for th- but otherwise things are going along as normal. It'll be a fascinating experience to get to be able to watch. I'm pretty lucky to get to do it, and uh, I appreciate the Reds uh, 
uh, given me an opportunity to do so. But uh, it'll be an interesting thing. And, you know, listen, my, I've talked to you guys about this before. You know, my job as a writer, particularly covering this time, is not just to, to write, uh, here's who won the game and here's how they did it. You know, I mean, this is the biggest thing uh, that I, I think a lot of us have ever lived through. And uh, to not write about, to not want to go out and document what it's like in this really unprecedented time, it would feel like a dereliction of professional duty. So uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to get the opportunity to go out and, uh, and, uh, and write about it. I want to talk about college football in a moment, but one more thing on baseball. Do you anticipate any time during this season uh, fans being allowed into major league games? You know, I wouldn't have thought so, but it is of note that, you know, there were some people that wanted Major League Baseball for this short season to just come out from the get-go and say, you know what, we're just not going to have any fans anywhere this year. We understand there's going to be an economic hit on that, but you know what, if we're going to be all on the same page and all doing the same thing here, we can't have the Mets or the Yankees having different rules than the Cubs or the Rangers or the Astros. And there were some people that thought they would do that, uh, and they haven't. <laughs> they have not done that, which to me certainly seems to signify uh, that uh, they're open to the possibility. You certainly heard uh, the Cubs uh, talk about the possibility of, uh, uh, and I think that speaks to how Illinois is maybe uh, particularly upstate is, is in a better shape uh, than, say, Georgia or Florida is right now, or, or Texas for that matter. But uh, you've seen the Cubs talk about that. You've seen some teams would be open to it. Uh, I still feel like, um, you know, it still feels to me that uh, that you let's get through a, uh, of a couple months of this. I mean, this is a, I mean, you know, one of the whole ideas of, of putting this season together is you're basically just trying to salvage what you can out of the 2020 season. It's all we all know it, with the new playoff system and all the weird things going on, and it's it's an, uh, like the fact that the best player, the best hitter on on the defending champions has been positive for COVID, COVID uh, an hour and a half before the opening day, and they just kept going anyway. It's a weird year across the board and so i feel like baseball almost feels like they're just trying to salvage what they can of 2020 and then try to get back to normal in 2021 for me it feels like the wisest decision if you're going to do that and what's kind of an, an unusual outlier season is to not have fans anywhere but uh they've not stopped they, they've not put out a blanket statement uh, statement saying they're not going to do that so i think if there's any fan i'll put it this way i've met some baseball owners if there's any way they can get any more money out of this season they will try every single way they can to, to do it well what are your thoughts on college football we have you on about once a month and for the last four months uh, that's <laughs> been one of the major questions how you feeling on uh, what's the over under so to speak on college football getting started <laughs> You know the, the the great joke, particularly down south uh, throughout college football, is if they had to if they had to uh, put store mannequins in football jerseys and roll them out there, they were going to try to have a season. Uh, and I think that you know certainly a couple weeks ago when the Big Ten made its announcement uh, and then the Pac-12 made its announcement, the Ivy League, all that ha happened. It looks like, wow, is this house of cards collapsing quickly? You know, it looked a little bit like when the Ivy League ended their tournament in March and everyone uh, quickly followed behind them. You've not seen that yet. Uh, the, the joke I've kind of made about SEC football down here is what uh, they, if they get even the slightest inkling that things are, are better – uh, when it comes to spread or it comes to hospitalization. And by better, I don't mean better than like right now. I mean better than the day before they play the game. 
<laughs> they will try to find an excuse uh, to play these games down here. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, they just, the SEC just postponed uh, making a decision uh, for a couple more weeks. They said they were going to try to decide by the end of July. That looks like they postponed that a little bit. Listen, you know, I can confirm for the fact that, like, things are definitely not normal in the South. Like, my children are not going back to school uh, uh, this semester, uh, much to the chagrin of, uh, of, the, of my, my quite beleaguered wife and myself. Uh, so things are definitely not back to normal. But when it comes to football, I mean, there is an obvious hypocrisy, an obvious hypocrisy about the idea that, like, hey, so listen, it looks like a lot of the school will be virtual and all of the other sports are canceled. But football, we think we can try to figure out. I mean, the idea of that is absurd on its face, but I think everybody understands, particularly in the South, not just uh, how the, the power and the desire uh, that the people have for the games. I mean, for crying out loud, the governor of Georgia, uh, when he finally decided to tell people to wear masks, the second thing he said was, so you can have football this fall. So <laughs> they know what side their bread's their bread buttered on. But there's also the obvious financial considerations, and those are big considerations, uh, not just for the athletic programs, but for the universities, for uh, my, my town of Athens. There's a lot of businesses that are really struggling right now and, uh, and frankly, usually make a lot of their money because of football season. And so uh, there's a lot – it's a widespread thing. And, listen, I think uh, they are looking – Georgia is not in a good place with cases right now, just like Florida isn't and Texas isn't. Uh, and we'll see if that improves. Uh, the fact that they have not canceled it yet, and in fact, they're still holding on, makes me think they are looking for any piece of good news they can find. And if you look really, really hard for good news, even in these troubled times, you can find it, particularly when there are hundreds of millions of dollars of millions of dollars on the line. Well, what do you think the uh, attendance will be? Per- what kind of attendance will be permitted in the SEC? Uh, you know, I think a lot of that's going to come down to states and schools. I know Georgia Georgia has they, – they've put together a plan to have fans in the stands. I'm not entirely sold. Uh, that feels like uh, one of those things that you plan for in case every, in case a vaccine falls from the sky and you can so socially distance seats and, and so on. It feels like that's something they're planning for. I think it's something they'd like to have happen. It just really, you know, we talk about professional sports and we talk about the NFL. You know, the NFL, the Atlanta Falcons announced that they're going to have fans in the in the in the in the stands. It feels like a different experience in professional sports than it is in college sports, to be entirely honest. I think that not just is there no unifying, uh, uh, you know, the, the the NCAA is not. There's no real commissioner uh, that can do things that can install things the way they can in baseball, the NFL. But more to the point, I mean, you are talking about a public university where, uh, you know, in two uh, school starts. School starts early uh, down here. Like the students are going to start showing up here uh, in the next couple of weeks. And uh... well, I think we lost Will there. We'll try to get him back before the next couple of minutes. I'm not sure who's going to answer that, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hang that up. But uh, you made some good points there about just uh, it's not only in the South, but it's predominantly in the South, the way they feel about their college well, football. I think everybody in the country knows that the SEC schools, other than Vanderbilt, are going to do everything possible to uh, to play football this year. And, and uh, I think that uh, I, I just looked at the numbers. Uh, Scott Dockerman threw out a bunch of numbers in a story for the um, uh, Athletic this week. And Georgia football revenue, $70 million. That's what they would lose if they don't play, and that, and then you got TV on top of that. I had some numbers from Ohio State that just 
I, we've, I think we've had these before, but here are the numbers at Ohio State if they don't play football. Go ahead. 71 million football-related donations. They have $71 million just being handed to them in donations. 26 million, and that's for football. They have 26 million unspecified donations, 50.5 million in football ticket sales, 50 million in ticket sales. That's uh, compared to Illinois, 6 million in ticket sales, and 53 in distribution from the Big Ten. That comes to $200 million. That's what we're talking about. Got Will back. I don't know if you were driving through the mountains there at that point, uh, Will, but we lost you. Thanks for getting back in touch with us. I'm not sure if you remember what you were saying at the time, but <laughs> go ahead if you do. <laughs> yeah, blame blame the hills of Kentucky on this one. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that uh, uh, one. I will say this. Uh, and on one hand, I, it's hard to imagine. It just feels incredibly irresponsible, particularly in a place like Georgia, where it's still such a hot spot to try to do that. But on the other hand, you know, Lauren, I heard you talking about donations there. Uh, I know personally people that have gave, given a truly shocking amount of money to the athletic department uh, and specifically to the football program at the University of Georgia. You can say we're going to not have fans in the stands. A guy gives near seven figures for a football <laughs> to a football program in a year. Good luck keeping him out of that stadium. That's, that's right. That's the way to put that. And uh, and I and I think that I think that's another thing that is so unusual about college football. I think you're seeing from baseball uh, and, and, and from the NBA and the WNBA starts today uh, and with the NFL coming up, you're seeing a potential path when you have a clear leadership and everyone's playing by the same rules of how, and there's no like connection to a public university or taxpayer money, how these things can work. But boy, with college sports, there's so many different loads of different routes of financing and so many different things you have to you, you have to account for it's just it's just a, it's a hard thing to figure out and I, they're going to try to charge through every way they can but uh whew, it's gonna it's gonna be tough i see where the sec is and i think this is probably not a bad idea if you're going to play football at all to try to save some of these rivalry games georgia georgia tech being one of them Florida, Florida State being one. I mean, there are a number of games like that 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 are teams from different conferences. Do you see the Georgia-Georgia Tech game being played? I, if they have a season, I think they'll try to play that game. I think it's kind of interesting. I was joking about schools being uh, all virtual. There's, not, there's now like a, a trend among parents getting like pods, you know, like almost bubbles for their kids, right? having a tutor and like having everyone get by the same rules and teach them themselves, that feels like something that you're seeing already with the ACC and the SEC happening. You know, I think the Big Ten's decision uh, to just go to a conference-only season took, frankly, other conferences off guard. And so because of that, now you're seeing conferences getting alliance. There's no one in charge in college football. How about the ACC and the Big Ten get together? Because, you know, it's not just Georgia, Georgia Tech. They've got Florida State, Florida. They've got South Carolina, Clemson. They have these these rivalries that have been going on as long as the conferences themselves have been going on. If they can stay, and frankly, both conferences have a financial and cultural obsession with college football that is like-minded. And so I think that if they can find a way to, uh, if they play a season, they will consider it almost like uh, they're doing their conference schedule and then you get one game with someone who's on the same page as you. Uh, unlike those uh, those people in the Big Ten and the Ivy and the Pac-12. I think you can see that 
But again, that feels like something specific to the SEC, and I think it's the same Hail Mary as having the season is, frankly. And I listen, I think that they, if it is humanly possible to do it, they will do it. The question is whether it's humanly possible to do it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Notre Dame. It looks like they're going to fit right into the ACC. Uh, ACC has been Every other sport uh, is is playing. Uh, uh, Notre Dame teams are playing in the ACC. So I think football this year. I don't know what would happen next year if they have a, a regular schedule. There, they might. Uh, they just want to be independent so badly. I don't know if they would al- al- yeah. allow that to happen beyond one year. It feels a little bit. Notre Dame is a little bit like uh, uh, like the baseball playoffs. They're like, okay, we'll do this this year, but do not get used to this. This is not what we're going to do after this year. I feel like the baseball players are like that, too. Like, we're okay. Notre Dame's okay with being in the ACC for this year if they absolutely have to. But uh, don't expect this to be lasting. It's, a, it's certainly a, a, a short-term uh, uh, hookup, if you will. That's Will Leach. We appreciate your time. Enjoy your time in the Queen City of Cincinnati. And we'll look forward to that uh, story uh, coming out soon. Thanks. Thank you, as always. Be safe, guys. You too. Will Leach, heading up uh, from... Athens, Georgia, to Cincinnati to cover a Reds game there. Reds are playing the Tigers uh, this weekend. Cardinals and the Pirates play this afternoon. The uh, Cubs and the Brewers this afternoon as well. And the White Sox and the Twins, all afternoon games for your local teams. It is moving up on 1026. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll visit with former Illini basketball player Tom Michael. He's in his, you ready for this, seventh year Come on. Coming up as athletic director at EIU. We'll uh, check uh, with him and uh, have more for you on Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk in just a moment. 1031 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. This is Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. We're heading towards 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Happy to welcome back to the program an old friend, Tom Michael. EIU Athletic Director, we were talking during the break, Tom, about uh, you going into year number seven. That doesn't seem possible because I thought it was just yesterday you were playing basketball at the U of I. <laughs> well, uh, thank you and good morning, guys. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, the first six years have certainly flown by. They, uh, um, it, it hasn't been easy um, through a lot of different situations, but um, it certainly keeps us busy and, and we continue to make progress. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a fun time. Every day is something different, I guess, in life when you break it down to like that. But uh, none of us have seen a year like 2020 so far. Oh, my goodness, no. Um, and um, it's just, uh, you know, it, it, changes, it changes so much. Um, just every day for sure. And, and, um, the most difficult part continues to be that, that you just don't, you just don't have answers for, for what, um, what tomorrow is going to bring. So it makes it awfully difficult for, for us to plan from a department standpoint and, and everything else. Schools like EIU and Western and some of the other state schools were having some, some budget challenges even before all this began. I can't imagine how this has affected that well there's there's no question and and um you know four years ago with what we went through um uh, with the budget impasse and everything that was taking place in springfield um certainly made us make some really really tough decisions and and so 
um, that that time was was really really difficult uh, in terms of the financial piece. This just uh, right now becomes difficult. Um, you know, as I was talking to someone yesterday, it's you're you're trying. I lay awake at night, and and the parts that that bother you and worry you are are things that you can't necessarily control, but you feel like you should be able to have some control over it, and, and that's not a very good feeling to, to be in. But um, um, it's it's certainly a very challenging time, Steve. I was looking at uh, the EIU uh, football schedule, which is scheduled to start uh, September 3rd. We'll see how things go. But you had one of the, the, the money games, like we like to call them, a game at Kentucky. I'm guessing that's not going to be played. Is that right? Uh, no, right now we are. Okay. Um, the SEC has not has not come out with um, with any changes to their schedule um, at this point in time. So, um, as we as we are today, um, we'll open up with Indiana State, and um, and then we'll go to to uh, Illinois State after that, and then we'll start conference season, and then um, then in October we'll go to Kentucky and play. Um, I say that. Um, you know that that's where we're at today, um, but next week, you know, there'll be some teams that start to report to campuses for um, for their week zero. The ones that play during week zero, we start um, August August third, uh, fourth. We'll have um, our full team report. Um, so we're planning um, that as we are today, but you know, um, certainly uh, you also have to have uh, contingency plans because. Um, trying to think things through um, as it's, it's certainly going to change before then. Well, I've got a million questions, I guess, Tom, <laughs> are you going to allow any fans into the games? Well, right now, um, right now we're, we're mapping it out at, at 20%. Okay. Um, you know, you, you try to, you try to manage what that, what that looks like. From a student perspective, our students don't have to pay for tickets, so you you try to um, you try to manage what that number can look like. Uh, you've got your season ticket holders, you've got your corporate sponsors um, that have some tickets, um, you know, and and uh, then you got to figure out where you're going to put your band and things like that. Um, how you're going to handle the sidelines and yeah you know part of part of what we're what we're planning through lauren is is our sidelines have to really be clean in terms of the number of people that that have potential contact with with our players and and that quote unquote inner bubble are people who are going to have to be tested on a weekly basis too so we're trying to really keep that that number um you know quite frankly as low as we can um, that are going to have to be tested on a weekly basis, um, just in, in terms of uh, managing things a little bit, a little bit easier. You know, uh, a lot. Of, uh, I guess the non-conference games were dropped in part by the Big Ten because they did not feel, and, and they're basically saying the Easterns and the Illinois states and the and some Northerns and others are, are, don't have the the financial capability of testing everybody as often as we think they should. Uh, what's your reaction to that, and, and how uh, are you going to be on the same protocols as the U of I, or, or uh, can you afford that? Well, I don't, I don't know exactly what, what the U of I, um, how often they're going to test. I know um, 
obviously they have some access to the some different tests that that they've developed there where they can with the saliva test that that they can do 10,000 tests a day um and you know so i don't know um how how they're going to do it up there but we will you know we're going to test our fall um sport student athletes um they'll get tested weekly uh it'll be 72 hours before their before their competition um we you know we brought 72 football kids back on july 11th to campus uh, they had to come to campus with a negative test before they could even come. And then as soon as they got to campus, we, we had everybody tested on that Saturday, the 11th. Um, and, um, and then before they enter the football facility, like, like most places, um, I'm sure, um, our policies are that they get a temperature check. They go through a daily screening check before they even enter it. If, if they have any symptoms whatsoever um they call into the training room and and then um, we go through that process of evaluating them over the phone and and if the symptoms are such then then we'll get them tested at that point too you know the the real, the real challenge for me um as, as i look at this it's we're undoubtedly going to have have people who test positive um, I think the part that that really will have the impact on on our sport programs is the contact tracing um, that that ultimately can can really get through a roster uh, pretty quickly if if our student athletes um, aren't doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, um, wearing the masks and and social distancing and and you know very honestly it's um, that's pretty. That's pretty tough to do uh, to, for an 18 to 22 year old um, to to follow those guidelines. And and we're just really trying to talk to our kids. And right now we only have football kids on on campus. And just trying to talk to them is is they'll get to control uh, really at the end of the day how much football we get to play um, if if they can if they can manage these things in the right way. Well, Tom and Normal, uh, what what uh, what's the uh department uh, revenue what what's your annual budget and how much of that does the university contribute yeah our annual budget is about 12 million dollars and um certainly you know we're gonna we're gonna have part of our revenue piece from um the game guarantees and and um then there's a student fee component and then there's ncaa and opc money um that that helps do that a majority of our of our of our revenue is going to come from the student fee component um, as well. So you know the the one part um, from our revenue stream um, with the capacity being reduced to 20%, um, that doesn't make up um, our our ticket sales does not make up a huge component of our of our revenue stream. So on on one hand that that doesn't impact us. Uh, and our and our budget um, nearly as much. Um, however, um, not being able to play Kentucky um, and not having that money uh, come in, and then if, for example, um, the decision was is that we could only play OBC games, um, then it then it becomes a, a a pretty good challenge financially for us. Um, not having having the revenue gain um, to contribute to to what we need to have for our overall budget. Visiting with Tom Michael, athletic director at EIU. What is the status of the other 
fall sports at Eastern? Everything is go for now? Uh, we actually came out this, this past week, Steve, the OVC did, and, and we're delaying the start um, of our fall sports um, until September 17th, which which essentially is um, is going to be OVC games only, uh, games and matches only. So that will be for volleyball, uh, women's soccer, cross country. And we actually compete in men's soccer as well, and that's through the Summit League, but but we're gonna we're gonna put our our men's soccer schedule um, together the same way. Um, and the only reason that football hasn't been contributed to that is is just some contractual obligations that are in place right now. Um, and you know, so there's a there's a little bit of a wait and see piece that's that's taking place then. But so we've adjusted here uh, in the last. Um, Oh, 24, 48 hours, um, we've adjusted some report dates for, for our other fall sports that were going to be coming in at the beginning of August, and now we've pushed them back um, more towards um, the 14th, 15th, um, the 17th, something like that. We start classes on, on the 24th, so we've, we've pushed their, their report dates back a little bit too now. What do you have there at Eastern, 20 sports? Yeah, we have 20 sports and about 525 student athletes is is what we're expecting uh, this fall to be on campus. How does that compare with others in the OVC? Uh, we've got the most sports. Do you? Um, yeah, we've got the most sports in in our league, and and certainly um, we've got more student athletes than as well um, than than any other program. Have you uh, done anything relative to uh, reducing pay for your staff or? Uh you know, furloughs, that type of thing? No, we haven't had to go down that road, uh, Lauren. And, you know, we're awfully fortunate that, you know, when this all started, um, whatever, March 13th, that um, everybody's been able to get a paycheck and, and hasn't missed anything, um, you know, up to this point. And, and certainly, um, you know, our our hope is, is that we can get the fall um, going in a place and, and have students on campus have have a hybrid model of of some face to face and some virtual learning um, that that will allow us continue to operate as as we've been. Um, you know, part of part of what we had to do um, when we were in the budget impasse is is we had to um, we had to make sure that um, we were we were doing some things financially and and at that point in time we made the hard decision and we did have to reduce some scholarships in, in a couple of our sports so um, you know that that those things um, certainly have have helped us be in a better place today. Tom Michael everybody always good to chat with you and get caught up with you and uh, best of luck stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay Steve thanks appreciate it good talking to y'all. You All bet. Right. Tom Michael with us at 1044. We'll take a time out. Have a, another segment of an open line. If you'd like to jump in, 356-9397. On the line, I pedal a Saturday sports talk here on DWS. 1046, 356-9397 is the number. If you want to jump in here before the uh, top of the hour as we move our way through the final July edition of uh, this program talked some Illinois football earlier in the show and some of the guys showing up on some preseason watch lists the most recent is quarterback Brandon Peters who uh, is on the uh, Maxwell for offensive player 
of the year, the Maxwell Trophy watch list. Doug Kramer is on the preseason watch list. Blake Hayes on the Ray Guy list for the best punter in the country. Alex Palczewski and Kendrick Green on the Outland Trophy uh, watch list. And Jake Hansen's on three preseason watch lists, including the uh, Butkus Award, the Nagurski Award, and the Bernardic Award. So, But there's one guy kind of missing from watch list. Well, that's my opinion too, Steve. I think uh, Imater Bebe is... is uh Way too good a player to be overlooking. I don't, I don't know why he. There was fifty p, uh, players listed on the Blitnikoff, uh list, watch list, and there were seven from the Big Ten, but no Bebe. And here's a guy with great athleticism. He had sensational performances for Illinois last year. If you remember the Michigan State game, he was Offensive Player of the Week in the Big Ten. Had uh, long touchdown runs, too. I think one was 86 yards, one was 40-some, and then he had a, a big catch at, at, uh, toward the end of the game that was vital. And then in the Wisconsin game, his 23-yard catch is, is the one that set up the uh, winning field goal against Wisconsin. It, even in the early game that they lost, a terrible loss to Eastern Michigan, he caught the touchdown pass, a long touchdown pass, to tie the game in the final minute and a half, and then they lost it on a field goal at the very end. But, I mean, the guy did so much, and he had uh, a lot of catches for over 600 yards, and um, I think he's I think he's uh, worthy of at least being looked at to see whether he uh, would be a candidate for an, for an award as a receiver. Well, and people are added to these lists as we go along, so yeah. he still could be. Oh, yeah, okay. In, well, my, in my view, like Brandon Peters was – Named just the other day to the uh, Maxwell list, and uh, I'm not sure that uh, some of the other players had already been announced on that. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, maybe as the season even goes, I think you could be added. Is to. he Illinois' best football player? Period. If he stays healthy. Well, that's another point. Yes. The reason Illinois, not the reason, not the only reason, Illinois lost their last four games last year, right? The mm-hmm. last three of the regular season and the, and the bowl game to Cal. He missed three of those games. Hanson missed all four. Right. Uh, Peters missed two of them. Two. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that Illinois failed at the end of the season, which they did, was because they didn't have their best players. And I think those three guys are critical to Illinois, absolutely critical. Hanson at middle linebacker now. And Peters, of course, and as quarterback, and and Bebe, he's even more vital because Smalling will not be back. He's not coming back. They must. They've, they've announced three key players who will not be back, who we thought would be back. Cerny, as a as a probably the number six lineman, uh, the next guy to go in at any position almost. And I, I mentioned Smalling, and then Bonner has decided not to return. I think he probably feels like, um, well, I, I shouldn't say what he feels like, but he was, he didn't figure to start at, at running back, but he did figure to play. Let's go back to the phones, and uh, Dirk is with us. Go ahead, Dirk. Yeah, good morning. Um, so we've been in this virus for about six months, and there have been hundreds of athletes test positive. Are we aware of anyone who's had long-term uh, damage, let alone death, uh, in that group of people, athletes. Um, and my second question is, has the university said to these kids, if you're not comfortable playing 
it's okay. You don't have to play, and you can still keep your scholarship. Oh, yes, yes. Yes to the last question. Uh, I, anybody that, that just decides they don't want to play, they can, they can keep their scholarship and not play. And, and do you think that will stay in place? in the future for, let's say, flu seasons? Um, no, I, I, I don't what? know about the future. I, I wouldn't think it would be forever, no. But as, as long as we don't have a vaccine, I think it, it's possible. Okay. So perhaps a, a vaccine or a therapy. The only thing is that I think a lot of us have seen statistics that say for this age group and certainly these kinds of people who are generally pretty healthy uh, to be an athlete, the fatality rate is less than the flu. I I so don't. Do, Steve, do you know? About, do Steve, do you know any player? I do not on any team that has. Uh, and we don't. Uh, the problem with answering that question well, is we don't know long term. Go ahead, Steve. Freddie Freeman got real sick. Yeah, he did with the Braves. But he started yesterday and played first base. He did, and he was down just three or four days where he mm-hmm. felt really bad, and the fever yeah. was. 104 mm-hmm. plus. Right. But that, that is the only one that I know of that has spoken out about it, at least. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think sometimes people see what they want to see. And as a football fan, I'd like to see them play. But I, I know there are people who aren't football fans who would be just as happy if they, you know, canceled all sports forever. So as a, we'll see how it plays out. As a football fan, and you were able to go to an Illinois game, would you go? You know, actually, uh, I'm 59, and uh, so my odds are actually pretty good at surviving, but I decided that I probably wouldn't go just because um, uh, better safe than sorry, right? Right. And, but if I, if I were 20 years old or 21 years old and I was going to be a senior and this was my last season to play, you know, I would play for sure. Good stuff, Dirk. Thanks. Appreciate the call. I think there are some football players making the decision that if they are uh, that since they are seniors and since they are not going to be playing professionally, and since there's a possibility of coming down with this that they're not going to play this year. I, I'm not saying that's the reason uh, Bonner, Cerny, and Smalling are not playing. Uh, they're all different reasons. All three are different. Uh, Certainly and, could have figured in though to their thinking. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. It is 10.53. Have you been uh, thinking at all about new windows or doors at your place? Did you get any hail damage a couple of weeks ago? Well, the folks at Illini Pella are standing by to help you. 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. They're back to their regular business hours of Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Saturdays by appointment. And one of their new lines is called the... uh, Lifestyle series of wood windows and patio doors. With the Lifestyle series, you can choose the features that fit your project's unique style. And with many colors, finishes, and grill pattern options, you'll find the Lifestyle series windows and patio doors to complement your home and your budget. The uh, Pella Lifestyle series of windows and doors are designed to last for years. Find out more about them and uh, check out the patio doors as well. The windows and the patio doors are backed by one of the best limited lifetime warranties in the industry for wood windows and patio doors. 356-6474 is the number for the Pillow Window Store. Or you can view the products and learn more about the business as well at their website, PellaOfChampagne.com. 
Move it up on 1055. We'll take one final break and be back with some final words on this edition of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. 1058. We've got a couple of minutes left here on this edition of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Glad uh, you've been with us this morning. Shout out to a colleague, Tim Dipman, who seems to find strange stuff to put on Twitter from time to time. <laughs> There's a photo of me even back in my Channel 3 days floating around there interviewing the San Diego Chicken. Remember that guy? He was one of the first uh, team mascots. His name never, was... I never met him. Oh, well, I did. His name was Ted uh, Giappanolis or something. Okay. Last name. But he, he just went by Chicken, Mr. Chicken. And there's a picture of me interviewing him. And I remember it well. It was at the uh, school gymnasium in Greenup, <laughs> Illinois, on a Friday night. <laughs> went down to uh, interview if the— If only we could show the picture. <laughs> well, you could find it out there if you want. Uh, but uh, a, a little bit younger, Steve Kelly, and a little bit younger, Mr. Chicken. But I asked him, <laughs> I said, uh, well, Mr. Chicken, it's good to, good to have you in central, <laughs> central Illinois. He said, Steve, it's good to be had. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. It must have been a slow Friday night, uh, sports-wise, because I went all the way down to Greenup to talk to the San Diego Chicken. So that's right up there with me wrestling the um, wrestling bear. Uh-huh. That, how'd that turn out? Uh, it was a quick decision. <laughs> I took a fall. <laughs> that was not, the not Ar- as quick as, as Johnson took you down. Yeah, that's right. That's at the Arcola Broom Festival where I did uh-huh. that. Victor the Wrestling Bear. <laughs> And he, he stood, once he stood up, I went down. <laughs> I, knew, I knew when this virus hit us, it was going to wind up like this. It's finally gotten to us. <laughs> Maybe I could find Victor the Wrestling Bear and the San Diego Chicken next week for guests. <laughs> okay. That's going to take care of things, Mr. Tate. Appreciate it. We'll All right. be back, we hope, next week. Thanks to Ed Bond for his help on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Thanks to our guests this morning. And uh, thanks for you calling in as well. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon.